0: Chapter 3, The Wisdom Books Tucked in between the historical books and the prophets, the Bible contains five books of poetry. These are sometimes called the poetic books, wisdom books, or the wisdom literature. There are five books in this category, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. Their position and their collective name may both slightly mislead the reader. They were composed during the same period as the historical books and the prophets, so they belong in some respects to the same historical era. In fact, most of their content was written by either David or Solomon, though more liberal scholars would attribute most of them to various authors and slightly later dates. Also, their content is not just poetry. Much of it is prophetic as well. Many, if not most, of the Psalms speak in various ways about the coming Messiah himself in poetic terms. At least three of the other books of wisdom contain moral and theological lessons that become allegories for the New Testament Church and the Messiah. Much of Israel's historical record is of this nature. People, places, and events can all foreshadow aspects of God's law and promises leading to their ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament. Such images, parables, and allegories, many of them real-life events, provide powerful forms of poetry in themselves. The more intentional poetry in the wisdom books is like a capstone in the archway between the literature of the histories and the prophets. Before we get into the Psalms and Proverbs, however, the challenging book of Job heads up this group. Whether just literature or actual historical events, Job is most widely understood to address the subject, why do bad things happen to good people? But this book is much more than this. The book relates the story of Job, the richest of the great men of the East— he seems by all accounts to be a decent and successful man. The calamity which would befall him does not result from his own actions, but from a discussion between God and Satan. God states that Job is blameless. Satan retorts that Job only behaved so well because he was comfortable in his wealth and protection from God. If God were to take all this away, Satan reasoned. Job would despise God and curse Him even. God eventually allows Satan to take everything Job has, up to the point of his health only sparing his life. Then, a different type of test arises. Three of Job's friends come to visit him. Instead of encouragement or support, they end up rationalizing and arguing theology. They suggest he must have deserved his plight, for God never lets bad things happen to good people. Job protests his innocence. Then, a fourth friend named Elihu interjects. He argues that they are all wrong, all trying to justify themselves first instead of God. He says that everything mankind has comes from God, and that even in times of calamity, we should speak in praise of Him rather than condemnation or wrath. As soon as Elihu finishes his monologue, God Himself speaks directly to Job. He puts Job on the spot and queries him with a barrage of powerful questions. Where was Job when God was laying the foundations of the earth or hanging the stars in the sky? Or setting the bounds of the oceans. Can Job find the origins of dwelling of light? Can Job make the day and night come and go? Can Job turn constellations in the night sky? Can he feed and corral all the wild animals of the earth? Job gets the point. When God finishes speaking to him, Job responds with the humility Elihu suggested and God has so vividly highlighted. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job chapter 40 verses 3 through 5. After another round of questioning from God, Job confesses that he repents and gives all praise and credit to the God who can do all things. At this point, God rebukes Job's three friends. He not only restores all that Job had, but doubles it. The book of Job it seems, does not aim so much to address why bad things happen to good people as it does the question, how should God's people respond when bad things happen? God makes clear that our hope is in a relationship with Him. We must know Him, and if we truly know who He is, we will know He is our only source of goodness and wisdom. In our repentance from trust in ourselves and placing our trust in the God who can do all things, we will realize a reward greater than anything else we could ever have. Ultimately, the book is a lesson to the Jews in their history as well. Written almost certainly during the captivity period, it tells the Jewish people to remain patient in their exile and loss of all they had waiting for the God who will rescue and restore a faithful, humble people to more than they had before. The longest book of the Bible, Psalms, contains some of its most well-known passages. We will retain the older King James English for discussing the Psalms. While it is usually more difficult to read, it is also unsurpassed in poetic beauty. The psalms in King James English are unrivaled by any other translation. Psalm 23, for example, may be one of the most famous pieces of literature in the English language. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 5. The songs of the Lord, which is what the Psalms are, contain many such passages that highlight. All aspects of the Lord and his deliverance of his people. We hear of his sovereignty over all human affairs, even the most powerful of wicked kings and nations. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Psalm chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. We read of his power as creator and sustainer, just as he had revealed himself to Job. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. There is the Messiah's death on the cross. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why art Thou so far from helping me, and from the words of my roaring? I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I melt, tell all my bones, and they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. And verses 14 through 19. We hear David's famous expression of repentance echoed since by millions of Christians, often weekly For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm chapter 51. Verse 3 and verses 9 through 10. God calls us to trust in his power. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm chapter 46 verse 10. There are many of these. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. We are reminded of God's preeminence as the only true God. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalm chapter 96, verse 5. We get the importance and power of his revelation for us in his word. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Psalm chapter 119, verse 97, and verse 105. The Psalms often express this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. There are also expressions of the love that should exist among God's people. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. And of course, there is a praise band leader's favorite. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Psalm chapter 33, verse 3. Many of the Psalms are prophetic, as we said. They speak openly about the work of the Messiah who would come. Psalm chapter 22 above noted his crucifixion and death. This one notes his confidence that he would not be left in the grave. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Psalm chapter 16, verses 8-10 through 10. There are also many psalms of the triumph of God's Messiah. This one is about the resurrection and heavenly rule of Jesus Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm chapter 110 verse 1. This verse is quoted in the New Testament more than any other passage, even more than love thy neighbor. In short, the Psalms are songs of praise and thanksgiving, but they are much more than that. They contain prophecy and theological lessons that reach as far and as deep as anything else in the Bible. Many look at the book of Proverbs as a large collection of short, pithy bits of wisdom. Since it is a book of instruction to a young man on how to live with wisdom and not foolishness, it certainly is such a collection, but it is much more. First, the book of Proverbs has a unique aspect also found in the Psalms. It is both intensely personal and individual while at the same time also highly allegorical of the whole people of God. It is impossible to say which aspect is more spiritually intense, for both are true in the deepest, most ultimate sense. So, it is easy to understand any given proverb as a lesson for individuals. Consider, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1, verse 5, and the classic, pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, verse 18. There is, however, a larger overarching theme throughout the book, the purity of god's bride the young man is instructed that wisdom is worth more than precious jewels and to pursue wisdom with everything he has wisdom from chapter 2 forward is personified as a female this woman wisdom is said to be sufficient to keep him from the forbidden woman an adulteress and prostitute proverbs chapter 2 verse 16 some chapters detail the destructive art of the seductress, Proverbs 7. It tells us her house is the way to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 27. The very next chapter speaks of wisdom again, personified as a woman. Her ends present quite the contrast. For whoever finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. The rest of the book contains thousands of wisdom sayings. It is not always clear how or if they relate to each other. The end comes with a passage that has caused many problems in the Christian marriages. The passage of the virtuous woman. It describes an excellent wife, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, who is in many respects, a superhuman woman working tirelessly with the candle burning at both ends to keep her house, order her home, make clothing and bed linens and much, much more. Many a relationship has been strained or ruined by men holding this standard over the heads of their wives. Like we have said, this is ultimately about a theological reality, the bride of Christ. This is about the woman he makes virtuous and empowers, and about the great works she slash we do through and for him. Anytime we try to hold mere mortal individuals, men or women, up to the ideal standards God sets for Himself, we are setting ourselves up for failure. We are always in absolute need of His strength and His grace. The wisdom literature from Job forward tries to teach us this. When we rely on ourselves, or worse, try to make others measure up on their own strength, we will drive people to despair and ruin. That is a good note on which to turn to the next book. Ecclesiastes contains many wisdom statements, much like Proverbs, but is much shorter and more narrative in style. Its name means something like the preacher or speaker of the assembly. He is a wise individual who has tried everything under the sun to find happiness or meaning, all on his own works or strength. Despite having all wealth and power and everything a person could want, he fails. He now sounds a warning, tinged with a dose of cynicism. "'Vanity of vanities,' says the preacher, "'vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun.'" Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 and verse 9 His darkened outlook appears in many passages like these He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall He who quarries stones is hurt by them and he who splits logs is endangered by them Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 8 and 9 So there is no advantage even to industry or hard work while minding one's own business from the beginning he tells us that even increasing in wisdom and knowledge brings with it a dark side of depression for in which wisdom is in much vexation and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 18 in the end however the preacher is not a pure cynic he has instead learned from his failures and vanities. He has learned that if you want meaning and happiness out of life, you will have no other alternative than to trust and follow God. He has learned that any other way is futility, and he arrives at largely the same lesson taught in Job and Proverbs. He puts it succinctly, "...the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments." for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 the song of songs or solomon's song picks up on the theme of bridal love expressed as we saw in proverbs this song however is not sayings of wisdom but a poetic narrative of enraptured marital and sexual love. The opening stanza sets the tone. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers, song of songs, Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The song runs for eight chapters. It contains no doctrine or even mention of God other than what we may deduce from its imagery that the bridegroom loves his bride and the bride loves him as deeply. Each desires the other and longs to come together to delight the other. In short, the book paints a picture of a deep, passionate love between Christ and his church. Conclusion. Moving from the books of the law and history into poetry, the emphasis of the Bible changes somewhat to deep personal emotions and relationships. This reveals that the heart of the Christian religion is a deep, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Himself. It is not that these ideas are absent from the law and the historical books. God said in the historical books that he chose David specifically because he was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14. With much of the psalms composed by David, the wisdom books give us a look at that heart, exposed in admiration, passion, grief, depression, despair, victory, triumph, praise, and much more. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, David's son Solomon captures all these emotions and mixes them with other biblical doctrines and imagery throughout most of it. By the end of it, we are reminded that the whole Bible is a book about how we relate to God, how He redeems us, and how we can relate to others through Him as well. The Poetic Books maintains these themes. The Messiah is sacrificial and yet triumphant. He is the wise man over the foolish one, the faithful over the selfish, the humble and obedient over the proud. He is the wise one who has suffered all harm and calamity for us, fallen into the pit which we dug for us, and suffered the serpent bite for us from the wall through which we recklessly broke. At last we are inspired as the whole church, his bride, by his love for us. We are inspired to love Him as He has loved us and to keep His commandments as He has done for us as well.